0: Welcome back to the City Light Family Podcast. It's our aim to equip and encourage you ministry leaders along the way. I'm Chris Rusko, one of the pastors here at City Light Omaha with my co-host and good friend. Jared Cleaver. What's up, y'all? Come, I'm come com- now.
1: I am not on staff here at City Light Church.
0: Where are you from? I'm from Providence Church, but also in Omaha. Also here in Omaha. And uh, recently signed to a hair deal. Do you want to talk to us about how they got yeah, your Yeah, Well, the,
1: my agent said I couldn't say all of it now, and so maybe next episode we could lead off with that. Yes. But it is nice that I won't have to take a salary from the church anymore. Please
0: stay tuned. There's more details coming on Jared's hair sponsorship. It's good. Big deal. Also here with my good friend, Dr. Matthew Lapine. If you don't know Dr. Matthew Lapine, he's educated. He loves the Bible. He studied it and actually went to more than one junior college. So I'm joking. He's actually actually a guy who's read some books. But what I love about uh, Dr. Lapine is what his role here in Omaha is. Uh, he's the director of equipping uh, at one of our gathering locations, and then also the director of men's ministry across both. Both, And so uh, what we also know is he's married to Molly. He has three amazing yeah. daughters, and he moved here from Ames, Iowa, to come and make a deposit in our church and has done an incredible job. So I That's said, so hey, cool. would you come on this podcast and help us talk a little bit about how to equip the church, how to help the church uh, equip them in biblical literacy, in learning, and discipleship, and so... Uh, he's given us a little bit of our time, his time today. So, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. What did I leave out? There's a lot to you. I left a lot out. Author, basketball player, above average height. There's a, many things I didn't mention. What do you want our audience to know a little bit about who you are as you come to this table?
2: Yeah, I mean, the Yahtzee high score it's 708. So, that's, oh, the, that's, yeah. the, that's wow. the first thing. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty impressive, uh,
0: dude. I, Significant amount of years playing Yahtzee. I'm taking. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> wait is
1: this is this like old school analog Yahtzee or the uh, little digital travel digital? The sure. winners of so Burnt in Minnesota.
2: He yeah. spent some time up there, yeah. so yeah, uh, from Duluth, Minnesota. Um, I so my sort of journey. I'll just say a couple words about this. I I was raised in the church, yeah. conservative background. Really doubted my faith. And one of the reasons why I went to so much schooling was really to get my hands around whether I would be a Christian in my 30s. And so Mm. I did a bachelor's in pastoral ministry and took Greek. And then I did an MDiv and I did a uh, STM at Dallas Theological Seminary. I went to Trinity for a PhD. But all of that was really wrestling with questions. I didn't really have a job in mind. So when people ask, hey, should I do this? I say, no, you shouldn't do this. But um, I think God really used it to, to, you know, for a PhD work, I was working on theology and mental health, which really dated back to some questions we had um, at the very beginning, master's work. I was working on like, is it rational to believe uh, what I believe? Um, And so I don't, I mean, looking back, I think there's a lot of wisdom in how God put the path together, but, it's, it's been fun also to see how those things have unfolded and served the church. Uh, so you mentioned the book. I mean, I, there's been just a ton of spin-out in terms of helping people care for their people better, especially yeah.
1: pastors and counselors. Mm-hmm. So That's yeah. so interesting. Okay, so Chris knows you a lot better than I do, but I just have to circle back around on this. At any point when you're trying to figure out your faith and you're going through the different degrees and probably spending, there's a few dollars that you're spending on that. Did you ever think like, Wait, what if I get to the end of this and I'm like, no, I don't know. Like wait, yeah, yeah, what? Yeah. How, did, how did that play into this whole thing?
2: Yeah, no, I, I started thinking that about uh about 2015, yeah. uh two years into PhD. <laughs> no. Uh I think my wife probably thought about that a lot more. But yeah, no, I it it's it's it was certainly um it was certainly in, in my mind. I mean there there's you 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 think all along the way, uh oh you know, this sac- these sacrifices that we're making is gonna pay off because we're gonna be able to invest in people. But uh, I think one of the disconcerting things is, uh, as I got closer and closer to the end, is that I'm watching in real time uh, theological higher education collapse. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. even more recently because of COVID, there's been a lot of schools that are closing yeah, yeah. and talking to people who know these things there's going to be a lot more schools closing mm. in the next five years. So watching the job market collapse, but also just, I mean, like even in Omaha, we, we had Grace University that closed. Right. And I talked to all these people in Omaha who went to Grace. Yeah. And that's why they're on the teaching team. And that's why mm. they care about this or that. Yeah. And yeah. and it's made such a big impact. So um, that was one surprise that I, I think the second thing was just, um, you know, uh, there's not a lot of people doing what I'm doing in the yeah. church. Mm. So like we went away from Sunday school, <laughs> yeah. but then we went to nothing essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know... Sleeping I, I, longer maybe in the morning. Sure, yeah. yeah. But I So yeah, I would say it was a little bit disconcerted to realize, uh, oh, I put in all this sacrifice. And actually there may not be a spot for me to minister in the church, you know, because by the time I'm done, I'm 37 years yeah. old. <laughs> And, you know, my, my brother, who's nine years younger than me, has, like, been in his career for, yes. you know, eight years yes. already, wow. and here I am wondering, hey, what am I going to do with my life? <laughs> yes, yes, so.
0: yes. Um, those are good questions. Can I jump on a couple thoughts? Yeah, go. So, a couple things with Matt. One is, um, you you uniquely already hinted at this, but the question that's really being answered is, where does theological training belong? and I think for a long time, we would say, oh, it belongs at these seminary institutions, and that model kind of worked. So the local church could kind of dodge the question, oh, you have a real desire to know God's word? Well, we offer Mm -hmm. maybe one class, come on Sunday mornings, you know, maybe get a Bible study, maybe buy yourself a commentary, But really, we would outsource it and say, if you have a real desire to know God's Word and really grow, you've probably got to get into a master's level Mm -hmm. seminary education. That's where you have to go to learn that stuff. Mm -hmm. Versus what we're seeing, I think Matt is advocating for, and a a shift is happening is, wait a sec, is that the right answer? Or was theological education supposed to belong in the local church, Mm -hmm. where we could be raising up elders and leaders within the congregation that defend sound doctrine Hmm. and have a biblical worldview. And wouldn't that be awesome if we could do that? You know, if we didn't have to move people out of the local church into these ivory tower environments that don't feel necessarily as mixed with real time pastoral moments, but just kind of isolated theological arguments. Mm -hmm. What if that didn't just go away, but what if it returned to the local church? I started bringing, having a conversation with Matt in a unique time for City Light Omaha. We, had grown as a church. We really started as, as you know, a very simple model, gather and scatter. And so many of the people listening to this podcast, you're in a very similar life stage of a church. You're trying to help your city groups really love each other in living rooms and care about each other in neighborhoods, which is what we just talked about. On Sunday mornings, you're trying to teach sound doctrine and and practice the sacraments. And those were our two primary discipleship rhythms. And we kept thinking, man, okay. And then something happened in life for our church. Uh, We, uh, We stumbled upon like this whole like political crisis that was happening in America where we started to realize our people are being more shaped and formed by the nightly news than they are the Sunday morning preaching. And there seems to be a pretty massive deficit on people's biblical worldview, their sense of identity, how they see justice and mercy, how they understand the story they're a part of. and it just started pressing on things in our congregation saying, I don't think we're just going to preach against this in 45 minutes on a Sunday. Like there needs to be more formation that happens within the life of our body. And the weird thing that was surprising to us is that a lot of these people were in living rooms. They were doing life. They were eating meals with Christians and yet they still didn't know their Bible and they didn't understand that God, uh, they were pretty stuck in a pretty um, fundamental area of their, of their faith. And so we, what we were thinking, man, how do we actually equip the church? Like, it's almost mm-hmm. like we need an extra space. And it, and it came to us as like, remember when we used to get mad that Sunday school was just such a horrible idea? Like, uh-huh. who would do this? Who would just wake up to be around Christians and learn their Bible and study the scriptures and understand doctrine and, and understand? And we make fun of the end of time Sunday school thing until you have to actually have an understanding of how, where the world and story is going. And so you're absolutely right. We, Catechism had belonged in the life of the church, a systemized, structured way of learning um, and shaping and forming people that had happened in the church for hundreds of years. We took that away because we thought, man, Sunday school is just out. We got to go groups. We got to go homes. We got to neighborhoods. And then we just didn't replace it with anything. And now you go years down the road and there seems to be a mild deficit on some of these things. So Mm -hmm. all that to say is I had a burden to have a guy like you know, we as a team and our elders said, Man, how do we how do we how do we incorporate something new within the life of our church would be an equipping space and intentionally raising the bar with theological education within the life of the church, intentionally calling leaders upwards towards Bible study uh, and and teaching the scriptures in men and women environments. Mm. So that led us to Matt, because believe it or mm. not, um, Gavin and I are awesome, but Matt is like another level. And, uh, and so he was gracious to come. Hmm. And so I want to ask you a question real quick, and then I want to hear Jared, you jump in. But that I want to ask you, people are being shaped and formed, and we've talked a lot about this off. Mm-hmm. Help us understand as pastors and ministry leaders who are listening, how are people being shaped and in ways that we might not necessarily think are a big deal? Like, what's the average person attending our churches or our youth groups or college groups? How are they already being shaped and formed, and what are we having to fight against when we show up in our ministry environments and try to and try to teach?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I you know, you mentioned just a second ago the, you know, sending people away for theological education versus doing it in the Church, and I, uh, you know, I feel like the reason why I'm a big supporter of seminary is actually, uh, in general, is because... It was in seminary that I really began to realize how much I brought to the Bible, Mm. how how much I was actually just reading in my ideas into the Bible, and I didn't understand it within its uh, original context, but I also uh, just understood that, um, you know, my inherited ideas about uh, politics and culture and all these things would just show up in how I was reading, and so... That I, I'm, on the one hand, I'm saying there's a tremendous amount of good in in seminary, and the church needs the accountability um, to really to really go deeper. And I'll unpack that a little bit more. But uh, what I also saw was that there was also a lot of things that seminary was doing that the church just didn't need, mm. or, or or if they did need it, it was so far upstream. That it it just wasn't on the ground practical, and so I think the challenge with that disconnect is it it creates a situation in the church where you sort of see theology as this nerdy thing that they do over at seminary uh, at seminary, but actually in the church all of us are theologians, yeah. and and we're we're just not particularly good. <laughs> uh, the, theology does a lot of things for us. It it teaches us how to read the Bible, so like. We get our theology from the Bible, and then we go back to the Bible with that theology, so it becomes our lens. So when I understand who God is, who I am, what's wrong with the world, all of those things, we understand them more deeply, then we see more in Scripture, because we're like, oh, this is how it's supposed to be read, right? Uh, But the other thing that theology does, and this gets to your question about how people are being formed, is that theology, theology has a missiological context. It's bringing the Bible together with the context that you're trying to minister in. And what's happened in the last 30 years is that we have essentially come into a brand new missiological uh, context. Like we've moved without moving. We don't even realize that our world has changed so rapidly. It's like we're in a new place. And so we, we have to put some diligent work into understanding what's happening. Otherwise, we're going to continue to read into Scripture what we've always read, and we're not actually going to have the missiological chops to tell people the story that, that we live by. And so, um, I mean, I think that that's what you're getting at. I mean, essentially, COVID, you you saw the split in churches between yes. people who watched Fox News or whatever yes. else they watch. I don't watch any news. Yes. <laughs> but, but I mean, you saw you you see this seismic shift between left and right, and you see how people read scripture differently. But actually, mm-hmm. uh, if you come if you come to scripture and you allow scripture to correct your view, on. You, you name the political issue there's there's a lot more nuance in scri- in scripture. So for instance, on the issue of justice, <laughs> like what does justice look, justice look like within the kin- kinship structure of the Old Testament uh, tribal and clan and, and family communities? Well, that's an interesting question, but it has nothing to do with uh, it doesn't have nothing to do with, but it it is at a different level. It's a different conversation than what's happening right now, which mm. is just pulling us at yeah. the
1: seams. So, yeah. yeah. So you just gave an example. I'm just curious for people listening. Some people are probably pastors, some people are working in churches, other people, maybe just, you know, the church attenders. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, what are some of the things you said we've had a, a missiological shift in the last 30 years? And I could guess some of the things that you're mm-hmm. talking about. But could you even name some of those things for us or like give a, a clearer picture so we could even know? Or you even said when you went into seminary, I was reading all these things into that. What? What are, is there some more specifics so we can even know or be more aware?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, so let me just maybe touch on two briefly. Uh, number one is we, we had like, we West Western church is extremely individualistic. And I, and I, I realized this even more so when I went to Ted's, which has a strong international presence. So I'm having conversations with other people. It's extremely individualistic. And, um, uh, so like when we read, for instance, um, the, uh, I'll just give you an example, the Lot story about offering his daughters to, to the crowd. Like when he offers his daughters, he says, hey, here, sleep with them. The, what's their response? Their immediate response is, who are you, an outsider, to, rebu- to rebuke us, mm-hmm. to, to tell us what to do? In, in other words, we don't even get what's going on in the whole scenario. The whole scenario is two men come into town. They're testing the righteousness in the town by who will show them hospitality. Lot is the only person who passes that test. And when he offers his daughters, he's not saying, hey, take my daughters. He's saying, I'm treating these men as if they are part of the kinship clan. (laughs) And they know that his offer is a rebuke. You wouldn't take these daughters. You're not going to take these men. Does that make sense? Mm. And so there's all sorts of individualist assumptions, like, how horrible is it for this father to do that to his daughters? Well, that's not what's going on, but we can't even see it because we're so locked into mm, individualism. Does that yeah. make sense? Um, but the biggest one right now is technology. I mean, I mean, and, and technology is very broad. So, like, a car is technology, but I especially mean smartphones and social media. Um, the mental health uh, has been on the rise since... Especially 2012, but 2009 to 2012 is where it starts to uptick, and it's changing in fundamental ways our way our ways of interacting with each other. But it really, really matters because we've got some very strong biblical commands about how we should interact with each other. I mean, Jesus prayed and the, just before he's crucified, "May thee be one as we are one." Like that, we felt that division in COVID because this is essential to Jesus, Mm. and 1 Corinthians 12 tells us how to live, and it tells us how to exercise honor to the people who feel shame and and mutual reliance. Well, mutual reliance in an affluent society that values independence and um, has incredible mobility and can cope with feelings of isolation by picking up your smartphone and playing a game or surfing social media, we're not going to others, we're not we're not really deeply engaging with others, and so we're not being faithful to the metaphor of the body and all the instructions that Paul gives that come from that metaphor. Mm. And so I think that I'm linking those two actually, tech and um, and what what I would call it's it's membership. It's mm. it's neither individualism nor collectivism. It's membership. It's mm. individuals who are members of one another and linked. Like, I, we, we're not faithful to what the Bible's saying, and it's because we just have our Western assumptions of individualism and that technology has no drawbacks, mm-hmm. and we have to know the context we're in, and we have to call people to live more faithfully because our witness is at stake. Yeah. I mean, that's what, again, what John 17 says, that they'll, they'll know that I come from the Father when they see the way that you love one another,
1: right? Yeah. yeah. That's- <clears throat> no, that's that's great. Chris. How many of your uh, the people Christians you know would come to that lot story and come up with what Matt Just said? it was Probably. weird
0: because I I was going to fill in the blank. Yeah, skin, yeah, just yeah. Like that.
1: I was going to ask you the question, but yeah. I thought, yeah.
0: Now I'm rethinking the entire Taken movie su- series. <laughs> like, what is it really about? Is it actually a daughter that was kidnapped, or is it just a hospitality story? Yeah, I'm a, trying to rethink it, is hospi- it all? Yeah, you didn't yeah. know that as a Christian no. director. It, yeah. Now, now I'm seeing a testament. new layer of meaning yep. that just the, the, uh, the
2: cool part is if you like that that reading that I. I I actually got from a missionary friend who, who um, read it, the story, with someone from UAE. So there's collectivist uh, societies that are, exist out there that we can read alongside right. and get more insight into the text. The other one is the Joseph story, which we'll, we'll talk about. Uh, the Joseph story is interesting because um, a collectivist society would see Joseph as breaking kinship. Like, he's he's partly at fault for the beginning of it. And that it also traces his development in um, in not abandoning his kin mm. and not putting himself over them. them. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. So. yeah, that would be good. Um, yeah, thoughts on that? I mean, I have so many things he just threw out, but I want to hear. I know.
1: Well, I, yeah, I have so... There's lots of things that are bouncing around in my head, too. So here's... Let me just go here. So we talked about the killing of Sunday school in a lot of mm. churches. So... Um, I've been around a bunch of different churches that have done Sunday school and slowly moved into like a more small group thing. But I would say there's a lot of people that Christians that I know that have sat in pews for a long time. They've learned, they've got notes in their Bible. They Mm -hmm. went to Sunday schools. They've got all sorts of information and they probably are a lot more, uh, like knowledgeable in some ways when it comes to the Bible. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. um, like, I don't think they're living out the, the these commands. And so you hear people say, you know, the whole thing like, hey, we Christians in the West, we don't need more, like, information. You actually need to mm-hmm. do what the thing says. And then you yeah. hear these pictures, you know, you hear these stories about, you know, hey, this underground house church in China has, you know, this manuscript of just this little thing, and they're, like, living it out. And that's a beautiful picture. You get inspired. You're like, yeah, we need to just do the thing. So mm-hmm. how do you respond to that? Um, because I think there is like teaching people something doesn't equate gospel living or so. Right, like, right.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, maybe an analogy would help. Like, I mean, I suppose, like I used to uh, coach soccer uh, for my daughters. I didn't play soccer, so it's, you know, I spent a lot of time on YouTube, uh, uh, you know, learning the drills beforehand, but it, it it's, it's a little bit like uh, if the soccer team came to me and said, you know, coach, honestly, we don't need information about how to play soccer, we just need to go out and do it. I mean, that's basically how they operate anyway when they're at that level. But the point that I'm trying to make is, uh, I take really seriously, my mentor defined doctrine this way. He said, doctrine is direction for living. (laughs) So, in other words, what we're doing by studying deeply as a story is being able to internalize the story so that I know the role that I'm playing in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not the leading character. I'm a supporting actor in this, but I I need to know the role and I need to know the virtues that are required to fulfill this role and the sort of behaviors that are required to f- fulfill this role so that I can act this role out faithfully. Uh, um, and so th- I, I just, I mean, I think that, That's one of the things that isolating the academy has done, has separated theology and practical theology to a level which it wasn't previously. Um, I could get into more of that. But uh, so uh, my response is to say, yes, I agree, we need to do the thing. (laughs) But again, I think one of the things that plagues the evangelical church is a simplistic reading of scripture where... uh, we have a lot of information, but we don't have transformative information either about the world that the Bible is displaying for us. Like we we miss things like the, the strength of the body metaphor, that it's in multiple Pauline epistles and that there's very, very real practical things. We just gloss right over them because our primary reading habit is open the Bible in the morning, read until something sticks out to you, claim that that's the Holy Spirit telling you what to do today, and it's probably something that you would have done anyway, or is already in your wheelhouse of things that are possible, Mm -hmm. and actually what we might need is we might need to know the world of the Bible and how God is communicating to us in the Bible, and also know what are our hidden assumptions that are actually warping the way we read the Bible and adopt new forms of life that the Bible is actually telling us to take up. And so I think that sort of direction, which is incredibly practical and help us to, helps us to live in ways that are faithful to Scripture, I think that's absolutely essential. Mm-hmm. So I'm affirming. I'm just saying, yeah, l- let's take coaching from the Bible itself and look for transformative ways of seeing the world and transformative ways of, of acting in the world from Scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: yeah, The things that we know about God should impact the way we live, right? Yeah. That's mm-hmm. orthodoxy and orthopraxy and... And we have to understand that if, if it's not doing that, we're just creating religious Pharisees mm-hmm. uh, with lots of head knowledge, no heart affection and no hand movement that would mm-hmm. would declare the kingdom of God or display it. And and yet it, it doesn't seem right just to give people the dance steps of Christianity without giving them the music. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's sometimes what sermons are is here's six ways to do the thing. We haven't traced it back to who God is and the story we're living in. Right. And uh, that becomes a whole different set of misses. But I know exactly what you're saying. I think uh, there's fears on both ends, Matt. You know, you can really miss this when we're talking about equipping the life of the church to, you know, are we just creating eggheads with big minds for God and little hearts and weak hands, or are we calling the church to go be in the hands and feet of Jesus and they've just got just enough Bible knowledge to know that Jesus keeps them Mm. from hell and they better go love somebody. And and, and, and that's all the deeper their thought. Goes, um, and so you you can see the extremes. Yeah. But yeah. Um...
2: well, th- this is why in, in our equipping spaces we're always trying to link head, heart, and hands. That's right. So so if you can't, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's almost like is this worth talking about? Well, how does it how does it promote worship of God <laughs> mm-hmm. and especially worship of Jesus uh, for His work, His atoning work for us? And then how does that actually work out in how we practice, uh, as Paul says, the obedience of faith. Right. So, so how, do we, how do we come to embody the gospel with, within our context? And we're always intentionally linking those so that we're not just dumping information. Uh, I I think that chain needs to be maintained, and we're using a lot of words to do it, like it's an education space, but we're, we're, again, taking that very seriously, that doctrine is direction. It should actually work out in terms of the practicality.
0: So just to help people understand what we're exactly talking about, um, because we're all over the place on this podcast, which is actually really (laughs) fun for me, but you showed up at City Light Omaha, and uh, we wanted to just make a deposit and make sure we're equipping. So, um, talk to us about what you're doing now, um, why we're doing it, you know? Um, and then I would love to eventually get to a spot where, Hey, not every church is going to have room for a guy like you or a a leader like you. So how could a, a local church, maybe not the size and scope of city light Omaha start to still have the value of equipping the saints to do the work of ministry and thinking rightly about God and themselves, how could they start to make those deposits? So take us into what you're doing, and then why, and then maybe take us into uh, what churches could do. Yeah. So,
2: I, I mean, I see Christian education, we, we've renamed it as Discipleship Equipping, because essentially it's, it's discipleship. We're, so my, my overall, this is big picture, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to raise the cultural water level for learners... Like, people who are uh, interested in studying Scripture studiously, but then also are participating in the broader conversation. Like, we're we're bringing a lot of books by a lot of different people because we think that the Spirit is teaching his church globally now and has been teaching his church for 2000 years. And so we're in the co- we're, we're not reading just me individually, we're reading in the company of the body of Christ. And so but we we want to be learners and we want to learn together and uh, that really for me starts with trying to mentor specific people <laughs> who then are exemplars for other people and mentor other people. So like at a basic level that's not size dependent. Yeah, like like we, we, any any church can find key leaders, and I uh, I always say this at, at my last church, the teaching pastor had people on his back deck for a decade, mm. and those were the people who, as we looked around and said, "Well, who are the elder qualified people here?" Those were the people yeah. that he he mentored those people, and so um, that you know that I I really believe in teaching as discipleship, and sometimes it takes larger context. The larger context that we're establishing because we want that, cult, that culture to grow uh, even beyond what we're doing on a small level uh, are three classes, which are Christian belief, Christian, uh, Christian story, and Christian formation. So I actually see them the other way, Christian story, Christian belief, Christian formation. There's a sort of progression to them. We understand what the scripture's about as a whole, and then we dive in a little deeper into the characters and the plot (laughs) of that story, which is what theology is, systematic theology. And then we get into um, really, uh, where does this touch down for you? Um, And so Christian formation gets a lot more practical. It's really homework uh, oriented, which is practical homework, not just reading and writing. Um, so those those three spaces are really important. Then we're establishing rhythms um, with our men and women, with the men, uh, men's and women's Bible studies, and um, the the uh, we have gatherings, and the gatherings are more oriented uh, both in our discipleship equipping spaces and in our Bibles or our men's and women's spaces. The gatherings are more oriented to. Let's talk about what Scripture teaches about a broad issue, and then yeah. let's get more practical and specific. And uh, we also do that with, with mentoring. So we have some, some mentoring that's going on with some men. Um, yeah. So those are kind of the mechanics of how it works out. But the overall, the overall philosophy is we got to invest in a few people, we got to try and raise the water level, set up exemplars, but then also teach in the broad spaces so that people have, have hooks to, to grab onto
1: um, and pathways to pursue. Yeah. So mm.
0: yeah. So, so go ahead. Jared, do you want to respond? No,
1: I'm just curious because you guys are in the same context here. So you probably talked about this, but when you just said I mentor, you know, these people, what do you, what do you actually do? do you, is there a, like a format that you follow? I'm just oh, yeah, curious. Yeah.
2: Well, so there's two things that we're doing. Number one, we have, um, a teacher pipeline. So, um, I was actually just meeting with a guy just, just before this, um, uh, so we have specific things, especially for men's Bible study, where we plug in these teachers, and we have weekly Zoom meetings where we talk about the, the text that they're going to be teaching, and then we follow up about their teaching outlines and their, and their teaching manuscripts to coach, both in the reading of Scripture, the, or reading of Scripture, applying of Scripture, but then also just the delivery. How do you communicate well? So that's, that's a mentoring platform. And then the, the other one we're doing is, at my house, we have what we're calling an equipping cohort and so we invite people in, and basically there, we're, we're just practicing reasoning uh, through Scripture on specific issues together. <laughs> so we get to know each other really well. Uh, th- this year, we're, we're walking through, actually, these hot cultural issues. So last week, we met and we talked about, like, what about these commands in the Bible to agree with one another? Like, how do we pursue agreement? And we're going to talk about how we say what's out of bounds, and then how we come to shared principles, and then we're going to get to the specific uh, disagreements that are out there in our culture today. And uh, I, I'm I'm anticipating it'll be fun, but I mean it's you've got to be willing to just be tolerant of conflict to be in that yeah. uh, to be in that <laughs> context. But but that's to me what's most exciting is to see people really really uh, you know you don't see people change their mind much, right. but I really think that these Discipleship spaces should be spaces where maybe we do change our mind, uh, where where we're where genuinely interacting. With, we got transparency and humility in our interactions. Yeah,
0: yeah. So part of this, Jared, is um, we we learned a lot from Village Church down in Texas. I feel like, and Matt had already done this at his previous church, Cornerstone in Ames, and um, and so this isn't like we're on the cutting edge of this, right? There's PDFs and classes and curriculum that you can kind of grab from brothers and sisters in Christ, but it was the culture even from us, even from us. We would love yeah. to share any of this mm-hmm. stuff from with you guys. And Matt would love to to help other churches. I'm sure you do that as with Karen. And, but what I would, what I would say is once we got past architecting this and getting a couple of the right point people, what's been really fun for me is to see the fruit, Jared. I mean, it's not just people learning about God. It's, it's those mid-level leaders who were learners but didn't have, maybe they weren't the greatest small group leaders. Maybe they weren't, you know, the best on a finance team. But what they are is hungry. So this morning was Jared, Jared Fry stood up on our 6 a.m. men's Bible study for the book of Genesis. And for 45 minutes walked through the very first verse of the Bible and did an incredible job. He is a product, though, of Matt walking with him through all the leadership pipeline, walking through his manuscript previous giving feedback helping him develop having some early reps and you know how fun it is jared when you're starting to see those kind of leaders understand and identify their gift that god has given them through the holy spirit for the local building up of the brothers and sisters what is your ministry gift well he's a teacher okay what is the right platform what is the right equipping that he needs to be empowered so he can get his game to the next level And all of that's now happened. And you're starting to see, holy smoke, this brother has raised his game, and he's now raising the game in the whole room. Mm -hmm. That's awesome, Mm -hmm. right? So that's the fruit. It's not just your average person thinking a little bit more rightly about God. That's happening. But it's those leaders that are taking steps and really growing. And that's where I think Matt has really helped shifted my thought on, is it just him doing some great teaching? No, it's him Developing a team of teachers um, who are now raising the bar across our body. It's pretty exciting to see. Hmm. Yeah. That's so awesome. So, you asked this question in the midst of a,
1: like a couple questions before. So, you're doing this here. You got a couple thousand people at the church. There's a lot of people that are probably listening that their churches are, you know, the size of my church. We have whatever, three or four hundred people in our church, or maybe people have 100, 200. How do you. Are you talking to other churches right now about how to do this or how would you suggest a church our size make some steps in the direction of equipping helping people with biblical literacy all that
0: What what size is your church?
1: We're about 3 400 people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But really good people. I mean Providence yeah. is home to yeah. dude. They're I good mean, looking, unbelievable, stylish, yeah. Yeah. just tremendous. Yeah. The yeah. hair Some of the best The Hair, alone. hair ga- <laughs> the hair game. Also, the kids. Ministry. Did you want to take off your hat? I don't. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to really show, go. I, yeah. That's why I can't go to Providence. They <laughs> won't even let me in the door. I mean, my yeah. hair game's not right here we, as it needs to be. We we yeah.
1: do to speak to what he said. I am like we have resilient people. We also have like people who just love to learn. They're they're like hungry. They we are. Tell them something. You really do. They're like mm-hmm. yes, I'm in. Let's do it. And so. I think there's opportunity yes. at our church and in a lot of the churches and yeah. in the family that people would yeah. be hungry for something. Shout out
0: Providence. Yeah. You guys uh, you guys have your own podcast too, have done a lot with spiritual formation, scripture memorization, different classes and equipping along the way. So I, yeah. I look at your church and I'm like, man, th- those are not just a few attenders, really healthy, sacrificial disciples of Jesus. So mm-hmm. you guys are doing a great job there and I love to see the work that God's doing at Providence. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, I i was just, to answer your question, I, I mean, I think it... It's a really low-hanging opportunity, and it—it it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't feel like that. I'm, I'm just going to acknowledge it doesn't feel like that because in smaller churches, and three to four hundred is actually pretty big compared to a lot of yeah. churches in America. But in smaller churches, you feel like you're trying to do everything. Mm-hmm. And so so I acknowledge that there may be pastors that are very busy that don't feel like they have time for this. But I, I do think that you need to make space because you need to think not just for 12 months from now, but for like five years from now. Mm-hmm. Like, what sort of people do I want five years from now? And so I think you do gather <laughs> a few of those people who you think are like, these are core people that I want around and I want training. Trained to be a core person, you know, maybe on a on a leadership team or an elder team uh, for me in five years, and ha- I mean, it's you can. There's tons of resources out there. Um, again, we would be really, really happy to like say, hey, here's lists of books on this and this and this. I mean, I that's one of the things that I've been doing for the last five seven years is is buying books, spending an hour with them, <laughs> you know, so I know hey, this is good, or this is not, or, you know, sorting those things, because there's so many, there's the, the, these conversations are not just happening here. Right. Like, like the American Evangelical Church, really, this is an amazing time to be in the American Evangelical Church, because there's great biblical and theological and practical resources that are being put out. But it's it's about making the time to go through those with with people in, in a mentoring type relationships. I mean, reading a book with someone is a really great way to mentor because it, yeah. you can cover the gamut. You can cover all sorts of things. Uh, we've, uh, you know, with this uh, teacher pipeline, for instance, going through the simian trust process yeah. with mm-hmm. someone on, um, th- there's one guy in our church actually who, um, that's what he does in his Bible reading. He just journals his Simeon trust or what, whatever his teaching outline would be, you know? And so um, teaching people how to do that, how to move from text to context and, and uh, in a way that's that's richly theological, do, doing those things on a small level may not feel like you're doing much, but it, it multiplies. And five years down the road, you'll be glad that you did it. Um, but beyond that, I mean, I... I I don't have all the great ideas, partly because I've just the church context that I've been in have had specific education. So, I mean, I'm sure that there are video resources and all that. I personally have stayed away from video resources because I think learning is an interpersonal thing, <laughs> and so like if that starts with five ga- five guys or five girls or something like that or a mixed group or whatever, um, maybe. The next, the next layer is you know trying to, to invite 20 people into a room and seeing a, seeing a class for that. We have some resources developed that we're, we're happy to give, but I, I think doing something is better than doing nothing. Yeah. And you don't need to launch a, f- a full-scale program when you don't have the resources, but you do need to be intentionally discipling people yeah. in how they use their mind. Yeah.
0: That's good. And by the way, your guys' church has done this, right? So you, you, you've already got your... As I look at your church, you've had an elder training program, you've raised up young leaders in your college ministry to learn how to teach and preach the Bible, you guys have a great little stable right now as a church of of communicators of God's Word. I think about some of your female staff as well. You have some unbelievable women there that have just got tremendous leadership gifts. And it's been really, really fun to see them start to multiply themselves. Um, As far as the theological multiplication, Mosaic is a great example. Mosaic Church is one of our churches in our family that they just almost started a Sunday school program. Like, hey, we're going to do 10 weeks on uh, this. And they, they led it well. And it was probably 10 people in the basement of a church. Uh, but it was worth them giving their time to. So it's pretty cool to see how this can flush out in different contexts, but I think the burden that I really wanted to give voice to is how are we a church doing more than just Sunday mornings and living rooms? Mm -hmm. How do we help raise the bar for people who have gifts and want to grow to that next level as a learner or as a communicator Mm -hmm. of God's word and really start to, you know, equip uh, people across our our churches in a really Mm -hmm. healthy and good way. So Jared, any final question? Go ahead. Can I
2: say one final thing? I, I think a huge part of this, because I, I talked about it briefly with, with exemplars, um, like I want to raise the cultural level by training exemplars to be examples for others, but I, I just want to put a plug in for uh, diversity of gifts within the church. <laughs> so I don't think discipleship equipping is discipleship at City Light. Mm. I, I think it's a piece of discipleship at City Light. But I, but I, so when, when we're in these contexts, I'm trying to go out of my way to honor other people who are doing different things in, in the body. And part of the reason I'm doing that is, a, is what psychologists would call a veiled wish. Because <laughs> I've been in churches where they're like, look, we don't need all that nerdy stuff. <laughs> mm. and, and I'm like, look, I'm a different part of the body than you are. That doesn't mean that I'm unnecessary, you know. Yeah. And and I think that that's it's really important. If you want to establish a learning culture, you have to also acknowledge: look, that's not the only thing that we're doing. It's a valuable piece, and you yeah. can you can raise up exemplars who are who have actually different sets of gifts, so that you get a diversity of gifts within your
1: body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. No, that's really good. I think one of the things that's in my head right now as one of the two, you know, co-lead pastors in a church and I'm sure there's others listening. The, the thing I talked to you, you came into our staff a handful of months ago and taught a little bit on theology and the thing that I quickly learn is uh, Matt is smarter than I am and has more education than me. And so I'm like uh, and so there's this there's this thing inside of me that I'm like but should I really be the one who's doing this mm-hmm. Teaching because I don't have the education that you do. A lot of pastors or leaders probably don't. So is like something. Are you saying something is better than nothing, <laughs> or like just yeah. like go for it and yeah. try your best and see what happens?
2: Yeah. Well, one hundred percent. I'm saying yes,
1: yes, yes. You're the guy. Yes.
2: The guy. I the I I think. Again, and this is just me sort of peeling back the layers of my own history and, and emotional past, but I think that part of the tragedy of the disconnect between the seminary and the church is that a lot of people like me are just stepping away from the big tent evangelical, especially mega churches altogether, <laughs> because there's a, everybody plays status games, you know, right? Like if you go to seminary, and and you want to study at seminary, you're gonna you're gonna be a high status person if you're good at arguing theology and Greek and Hebrew and all these things. And it would be easy for me to go to that sort of environment and win that game and just have a fulfilled life. Uh, what what breaks my heart is that all these people go there because there's not a place for them here. Mm. <laughs> Does that make sense? And and. Uh, I just I I I I would love to see um, you know I don't know maybe maybe more guys who kind of have my gifts be be brought in to to churches to to supplement and so I I mean I feel like I have a a sensitive spot for that where I'm maybe identifying guys and picking them out uh, uh, that are not people that maybe were central before because th- mm-hmm. this is where my gift is mm-hmm. but. Anyway, all that to say, yes, do it. I mean, you 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 are the guy. You can do this, you know. Um, but it's also, I think, uh, great to to see and honor and and empower others who are maybe especially passionate or gifted in this area to pursue education and to be able to uh, to contribute and feed back into the life of your church. So,
0: yeah, yep. it's good. good. One of the things we can do, Jared, is, is Matt helped me see is just not to make fun. Of other people's gifts. It's kind of funny how we do that, right? It's um, trying to create a culture where, let's say if the body is the illustration, the mind is um, not devalued. So he kind of picked on the seminary, but I could pick on the church. Whoever has the largest crowd wins. And you could win that crowd through shallow, just basic teaching and entertainment value And then we can make fun of all those who call us to deeper levels of education and say, well, he's the doctor and he's this and he's got this, but we're just over here. We're doing like, no, like welcome, welcome the learner, because it's impossible for us to worship a God we don't know. And mm-hmm. we shouldn't be afraid of discovering God. We should be in the constant pursuit of knowing God. And we shouldn't be afraid of theological education as if it's just gonna produce Pharisees. It should actually produce greater affection for this beautiful God who made us and has something for us. So mm-hmm. I, I wanna, that's something I've had to learn is just, you know what? Um, we gotta get past our own insecurities and step into the mm-hmm. lot that God has for us, but also honor mm-hmm. honor, you know, the unique deposit that Matt or folks with that gift could make to our church. And uh, that requires humility from us. That requires honoring of him. And I think we're all after just a healthy, beautiful body called this local church that would look mm-hmm. a lot like Jesus. And I love the humility you said. is like, this is part of it, but you're making disciples if you're moving towards orphan and widows and single mm-hmm. moms and international students and right. sending people on mission. And like, this is all part of discipleship, but this is a component of it. We should talk about it. So um, awesome. Hey, Jared, any final thoughts? I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm, okay. I'm called. I'm going to okay. go okay. teach a class this yeah. next week. Providence Church, you will have a new <laughs> spiritual formation class starting by Jared really soon, and uh, we're going to send him the PDF. So be blessed. That, that's coming to you right here. Not elder approved at a local level, but just, just spoken into being <laughs> on a, a podcast. Right yeah, absolutely. <laughs> awesome, guys. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. Appreciate your time, Matt. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Be blessed.